Isaiah 52, verses 7 through 10. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your sentinels lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy, for in plain sight they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. So I used to do triathlons when I was younger. If you're not familiar with those, those are endurance races where you swim first and you come out of the water. You have a bicycle there for you. You jump on the bicycle. You ride the bicycle for a certain amount. And then you jump off the bike and then you finish with a run. The really long ones, the Ironman triathlons, they finish with a marathon. It's amazing. I did the very short ones called sprint triathlons, but still, it's an endurance event. You have to do some training if you're going to swim, then bike, then run. You have to be thinking way ahead and find a training plan, a training program. You have to be able to see yourself doing all these activities before you ever get there to kind of find this motivation to do the training for months. Because it really makes a difference, not so much how much natural speed or strength that you have, but that you've done the training. The preparation, I figured out, is really the key. You have to decide before the event that you're going to prepare yourself to be a part of that. You have to be able to see yourself doing it before it actually happens. As I was reading Isaiah... I thought, that's what he's doing. Isaiah sees it before it happens. He says in this text, Jerusalem is still in ruins. They are a people who have been overrun by a foreign oppressor. Their capital city, their temple has been destroyed. Their wealth has been taken away. And yet, right after Isaiah says that their city is still in ruins in verse 9. Then he says, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. He speaks as if it's already happened, even though he's told us it's not really happened yet. Isaiah is seeing it before it has happened. And he's able to speak with great boldness and proclaim the glory of God. And the strong arm of God being at work and redeeming the people, even though they still are in a time of suffering. And like all the prophets tend to do when they talk about redemption or salvation, they're not pointing at us as individuals so much as they're talking about the whole community. That all the people are being redeemed together. Verse 8, again in verse 9, he uses this word together. This is something the gathered community experiences. 
Isaiah is proclaiming this greatness of God, this work of God before it happens, and he wants the people to begin to celebrate already, to celebrate the blessing it's going to be, to celebrate the vision that he has. Isaiah wants the people to sing and rejoice together. Miss Oklahoma 2021 was named Ashley Robinson. I was invited one night to do the opening prayer at a banquet. I was seated at her table. She had been invited to come and sing. We began to talk. When she found out I was a United Methodist, she said, oh, I'm United Methodist too. We had a delightful time at dinner that night. She sang beautifully. Later on, a few weeks after that, I saw a magazine story about her. She talked about in the story how her grandmother was United Methodist and her mother and how they are the ones who got her started in church. And then singing at church, she realized she had a gift of song and began to sing in lots of different choirs all through high school. Then she went to Oklahoma City University and studied voice and sang there as well. In the article, she says that it was in a conversation with her mother that she came to this realization that when she was in a choir singing with others is when she felt the closeness of God. Ashley experiences closeness to God as a part of a larger community, as a part of the choir singing together. That's her place where she feels like the presence of God is most real to her, not an individualized experience, but one with the community of faith, with the people of God. There is this theme that runs throughout the Bible about God's care and concern for the whole community, for the whole earth, for the whole, whole world. You hear it throughout the Gospels. In Matthew, it talks about this final scene where Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go out to, you remember, all the nations, teaching and proclaiming and baptizing. Or in John, that conversation with Nicodemus, we end up with John 3.16 talking about for God so loved the world that he sent his son. Or in Luke, when we're reading this Christmas story, it says it's great good news and great joy for all the people that this baby is being born. We have this theme of God's concern for all the people in the world. So often we get caught up in Western Christianity thinking salvation's just about me and Jesus. But when we read through the scripture, we see it's always more than that. It includes us. And it's important that we have this personal relationship with Christ. But it's always bigger than us. God's love and God's care and God's concern for the larger community. Isaiah captures that in verse 10 in this way. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. 
Isaiah is proclaiming good news for all the people together. He says, break forth together into singing. It's something that the community experiences together and celebrates together. Did you remember the story back just before the Little League World Series this summer? There was a Tulsa team playing in the regional tournament trying to get to the World Series of the Little League. And in that experience, there was a young man from Tulsa who was batting. The opposing pitcher threw a ball a little too close to the batter and it hit him in the head knocked him down he got up kind of shook it off trotted on to first base but when he got to first base he looked back at the pitcher and the pitcher was crying and spontaneously the boy from first base trotted out to the pitcher's mound and hugged the other boy and said I'm fine it's going to be okay the pitcher thought he had hurt this other boy, they had stayed at the same hotel all week and they had become really good friends and he couldn't bear the thought that he had heard his new friend during the game. Well, that kind of deeply human act moved reporters who were there and they began to write the story. Then television stations began to pick it up and it sort of went viral across the country of these two young boys one having such compassion in his heart, afraid he had hurt his friend, and the other spontaneously showing such kindness to run out and hug someone who's supposed to be his opponent on the other team to say, it's going to be fine, I'm all right. What a lovely act. What a great example of loving kindness of what humans could be like and can be like when we are at our best. This story, Isaiah is proclaiming that that's the people we should be, that that's what God is working at, and that we should be a part of that. We should look for it. We should foresee it as Isaiah does. Believe it. Be it in the way that we live our lives, the way that we treat other people, the way that we walk our path of faith. I want to tell you the story behind one of our great hymns, one that Joel hasn't told us yet, one of our most beloved hymns. Do you know the name John Francis Wade? Didn't really know his name Back in 1743, he had been in England. He had left England to go to France to escape persecution when the Protestants and Catholics were fighting. And he was an artist. He was a musician. He was teaching music. But what he became really well known for in his own day was how artistic he was when he would copy scores of other people's music. They said they were just exquisite that he was a, such a fine artist that when he did the music, he not only did the music, but he made it look like a masterwork of art. And so he earned money copying other people's music. He copied one Latin hymn 
And then after he died, scholars were looking to try to figure out where the hymn came from. They could only find seven copies, all signed by him, with no antecedents. They finally concluded this was not one of his great artistic works that he had copied, but he had actually composed the words and the music. But in his time, it didn't catch on as a hymn. A hundred years later, back in England, there's a Reverend Frederick Oakley who runs across this Latin hymn. He likes it a lot. He tries to translate it into English. He begins the first phrase with ye faithful approach. It didn't catch on. He tried again a few years later to translate it again. He really wanted his congregation to hear it and to learn it and to sing it at Christmas time. This time he came up with the opening line, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. At that time, it caught on. His congregation responded with joy and glee. My point is the author, Wade, saw it before anyone else grasped it. It took over a hundred years and the work of another person for it to become one of the most beloved Christmas carols sung and put in almost every collection of English Christmas carols that you can find. It is the wonder of what happens when people of goodwill work together it's in your bulletin we're going to sing it it invites us to come oh come all ye faithful joyful and triumphant oh come oh come ye to bethlehem come and behold him born the king of angels let us stand and sing it now let's sing for joy